All right, everyone, welcome to this week's roundtable. Uh, Jeff and I both have, I guess you could call it fatigue, maybe COVID fatigue and all this stuff going on. Uh, we're we're going to actually take a break from talking about anything really controversial and to get our minds on some other things. All I will say on that is thank you for your prayers and mm-hmm. for your forbearance um, as we walk through this time as pastors and leaders. And mm-hmm. if you're listening, I just encourage you to uh, just pray for your leaders, pray for our government leaders, all those things. And just uh, as believers, let's let our graciousness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Mm-hmm. Um, but today what we do have for you is, a, is a, another fun conversation so Jeff is going to introduce me to a friend of his that he talks about all the time that I, I don't know. Uh, his name is Herman Bavink. Yep. And so we're all going to meet him together, this guy that, that Jeff loves so much. And so Jeff, yeah. tell us a little so, bit. So there he is. That is Herman Bavink. Uh, if, you know, I'm rarely on Twitter myself. But if you look on Twitter and see my profile picture, it's actually kind of from a joke from a few years ago, but it's actually my face put on that body (laughs) because (laughs) I have such an infatuation with him uh, that, yeah, I kind of wish I was him sometimes. wish I was like Herman Bobbing. Okay, so uh, why am I fascinated with this old dead guy? it's actually not because he brings something unique to the table that no other theologian or no other pastor or great Christian thinker has ever brought to the table. There's actually not a ton of brand new novel stuff uh, at all from him. He though, in my mind of the theologians that I follow has the most kind of majesty in his writing, a, a palpable love awe, kind of admiration for God and the truth that he's studying, um, that that's what gets me caught up. It's, again, not, the content is solid and great. There's a reason that it's still around, you know, after a hundred and some years, um, strong content. But yeah, it's, it's the manner in which, it, and it's not just majesty, it's love. <laughs> he really loves the truth and loves Jesus. And that Mm. comes through quite a bit. So, um, one of his best friends through his adult life and ministry was Abraham Kuyper. Again, probably somebody that maybe you've heard of him, but it doesn't inconsequential. Abraham Kuyper was more the activist kind of guy. So in other words, Abraham Kuyper started a university, started a newspaper. He was a journalist. Uh, he became the prime minister of the Netherlands. And so these two powerhouse men became like a team for those years, a beautiful, just God provident, providential kind of thing. Uh, Bavink, I think was kind of the anchor of, of how to think. (laughs) And, and Kuiper also brilliant became more the guy on the front lines, you know, like taking all that great thinking and putting it out into the marketplace of ideas and the front lines of culture. So they just become this beautiful, just this episode of, of Christian history where these two unbelievably gifted men partnered together in a way. And uh, so when was this? What time period? So they were like late 1800s into the very early 1900s. 
Okay. Yeah. So and this is where, century. where is this? In the Netherlands. In the yeah. Netherlands. In, okay. in, so Amsterdam is where um, okay. both of them live. So, so okay. give, real quick. So give, give a, 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 just a quick background of like their theology and worldview yeah. and what distinctives, like uh, one of the famous Abraham Kuyper quotes that's, you heard this in many sermons is, he says, quote, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Mm-hmm. I think that summarizes yeah. like this, this kind of uh, uh-huh. reformed yeah. theology and understanding of. Yeah. So they were, uh, yeah, so both of them are Dutch reformed, not Shocking that they're both Dutch. <laughs> they're in Amsterdam. Dutch Reformed theologians. Um, they what you're hearing there from Kuiper is something both of them kind of revolved around is this idea of of sphere theology or sphere mm-hmm. sovereignty, and by that, uh, both of these guys would say that Jesus Christ and His Lordship should be evidenced in every sphere, and by that we should see Christian artists and Christian doctors and Christian educators and Christian plumbers and that they should see themselves in every vocation, in every walk of life as under the Lordship of of Christ and that the Lordship of Christ should be evident in every sphere of life. That said, they also wanted to protect that, uh, you run the sphere of family differently than you run the sphere of the academy, differently than you run the sphere of politics. So in other words, even when Kuiper was the prime minister, he acted appropriately as a governing authority. But when he got home, he didn't treat his children the way that he did cabinet members or whatever. You know what I mean? Like every sphere you need to think biblically and rightly about what that looks like in those spheres and don't have this um, kind of monochromatic way that we just look at all those spheres and blur them together. No, let's let Christian artists figure out what Christian artists should live like under the Lordship of Christ. Dads and moms, politicians, educators, but it presses it out to say, boy, life is complex. And let's think about what the Bible teaches every one of those different spheres of how to make Jesus beautiful and glorified uh, in every walk of life. And work. so it wow. kind of dignified huh. wow. every school teacher, stay at home, mom or dad, whatever, you know, like dignified them to say, you got a really important role to play. Let's let me press in. What should you be looking like as you mm. express Christ wow. in that domain? Mm, cool. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's meet. Bavink. Okay, so Bavink wrote a ton, probably his his most uh, notable work, which has only been recently. The reason Bavink's name even kind of gets thrown around more recently is because he remained somewhat untranslated for way too long, honestly. Uh, so unless you read Dutch, right, you, you didn't have access to him. So there's been a recent uh, um, translation flurry around Bavink's works. The most important of which probably is his four-volume systematic theology. Um, That's probably his greatest single big contribution. But he also wrote on ethics. In fact, we're thinking of teaching ethics class here uh, several months from now. Probably will lean into his ethics as well. But all that to say, he really loved just, 
people, again, sphere theology. He loved every person just out there in the marketplace of ideas and every sphere of culture. And he wanted his stuff to be accessible to them. So he ended up writing this book called The Wonderful Works of God, which is kind of a distillation of all those big heady academic things and all those volumes that he wrote down in one volume. And it's a pretty thick volume. It's not like, you know, a little mm -hmm. pamphlet. But in one book, what he imagined could be obtainable and readable to everybody on the street, shopkeepers, farmers, mm -hmm. teachers. So that's the book that I actually have the students in Veritas School of Theology read. And I had them just most recently read one chapter, the first chapter out of that book. So that's where I thought we could just, yeah, this isn't going to be some long, and, and honestly, I wouldn't even be able to represent all of Bobbing. There's a lot yeah. out there. Just to focus on a couple of cool thoughts. Yeah, let's so, do it. All right. So one of the first thoughts, he, he interacts a lot with uh, the sciences and especially philosophy, because philosophy, and, and Mark's actually probably more conversant with just philosophy in general than I am. He took more of that like in undergrad and stuff than I did. But Bavink wants Christians to know that you shouldn't shy away from bringing Christ into discussions around philosophy because the only true philosophy is a philosophy that is Jesus Christ as its foundation, you know? Um, so at one point on page four of this thing, so if you're there, go to yeah, bottom page four. He says this. He's in the middle of a discussion about philosophy. So I'm just going to say that I'm taking him kind of out of context here. But I think he makes a great point. In the second place, he says, philosophy, whenever, uh, after a period of decay, it enters upon a period of revival again, always begins with an extraordinary and exaggerated expectation. At such a time, it lives in the hope that by means of continued serious investigation, it will solve the riddle of the world. Okay, I'm just going to pause for a second. What he's saying is different philosophies kind of ebb and flow, and all of a sudden you get some new voice that brings up some new philosophy that's probably just a re-enchanted ancient philosophy that's making headlines and getting a bunch of people, you know, maybe right now, I don't know, there's different ones. Jordan Peterson, different ones who are just bringing up, right? right? And, he, and he says, uh, they'll, they'll kind of get up, but there's this exaggerated expectation. Oh, all the riddles of the world are now, everybody read this book, read this book, you know. Uh, it, it will solve all the riddles of the world. But he says, but always, after this young overexcitement, the old disillusionment enters in. So far from decreasing, the problems increase as the study proceeds. What seemed to be self-evident proves to be a new mystery. And the end of all knowledge is then again, the sad and sometimes despairing confession that man walks about on the earth in riddles and that life and destiny are mysteries. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> He's like, it gets a lot of flurry and you get a lot of people on those bandwagon of these new philosophies that are repackaged old philosophies. And then all of a sudden people start taking a closer look at it and other philosophies start taking their this is <laughs> This is so fascinating because this is one of my reflections on our current time is, is the illusion of omniscience. Yes. The internet does not represent omniscience. It represents a lot of information. Yes. And what we're finding is kind of slanted in all directions. It's, it's very difficult to know. But I love this statement. Man walks about on the earth in riddles. 
<laughs> the acknowledgement of yes. the mystery of the universe yep. and, and trying to figure out, you know, things like human responsibility and divine sovereignty. How do those things come together? I was reading a book um, called The Cave and the Light and talking about how the history of thought is really just a dialogue between Plato and Aristotle. Yes. And, and I really just add the amen to this, that, that the problems increase as the study yeah. proceeds. You know, everyone thinks they found their silver yeah. bullet and this is the philosophy that explains it all. And, and it, you know, people, it's a New York times bestseller. Yep. And then, you know, it's almost like diets, like, yeah, this new diet really. that came out and it's the, it's, this is the thing that's going to, you know, solve our health dilemma. Mm -hmm. And, and then, you know, 10 years later, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of not. He, so. he just really wants us to be dependent creatures. We are dependent mm. on revelation. Mm. We are dependent on God helping us make sense of the world that he created and left to our mm. own devices of trying to answer those deeper worldview questions absent God, we will forever, we have these, I love that, our young exaggerated ideas of, oh, we found it, we found the elixir, <laughs> you know, we found oh, the answer yeah. to all of life, uh, suddenly comes crashing down. So I just want to, I haven't even read this, but I find myself, I want to read the first paragraph because yeah. I think that really sets yeah. up this idea. He says, God, well, the, the chapter of the, the, the title of the chapter is Man's Highest Good, and he says, God and God alone is man's highest good. In a general sense, we can say that God is the highest good of all his creatures. For God is the creator and sustainer of all things, the source of all being and of all life, and the abundant fountain of all goods. All creatures owe their existence from moment to moment solely to him who is the one eternal and omnipresent being. It's, it's, it's his foundation, right? That's why he wants that to be the first paragraph of the first chapter. You know, mm. that is foundation. In the beginning, this, God, you know. This sounds like Jonathan Edwards. In yeah. college, I did a, a, a whole class, an independent study on Jonathan Edwards' essay, The End for Which God Created the World. Mm. And he talks about why did God create the universe? And, and this, it, it feels like this is a Jonathan Edwards sure. paragraph. And yeah, oh, yeah. to the glory of God. You will see strains of, you know, again, that's where I'm saying it's not like Bob Inks the only one saying this stuff. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Other uh, solid just Bible men and women, especially from the Reformed, uh, you know, mm -hmm. uh, persuasion are going to sound a lot like this. Yeah. But I just think he has such a majestic way and glorious way to, to say it. So, okay, awesome. let, me, let me hit a couple more and then you can call it a wrap. But uh, on page six. Now he's going to swing into another direction, and that's love for one another. He says this, he goes, after all, the love for one's neighbor is not a self-vindicating thing, which comes up quite spontaneously and naturally out of the human heart. It's a feeling, rather, and an action, and a service, which requires tremendous willpower, and which must be constantly maintained against the formidable forces of self-concern and self-interest. Moreover, so, okay, let me just say, he's saying, when we hear that command, love your neighbor, oh, don't imagine that's some easy, oh yeah, just love for mankind. You know, people with their little signs all over their yard, just 
love mankind. We love, you know, as if that's just an easy, pithy thing mm. to say. Like, yeah. it will take, we are so drawn towards self-concern and self-interest. It is hard to love my neighbor. And then he says this, moreover, such love of the neighbor frequently gets little support from the neighbor himself. <laughs> wow. <laughs> People generally are not so lovable that we should naturally, without exertion and struggle, cherish and love them as we do ourselves. Mm. Like they make it hard to love. You know, yeah. people are hard to love. Indeed, the love of neighbor, neighbor can maintain itself only if, on the one hand, it is based on and laid upon us by the law of God, and only if, on the other hand, that same God grants us the desire to live uprightly according to all his commands. He's saying, I need two things. The tyranny of the Bible teaching me what it really means to love my neighbor and the transforming spirit of God to actually give me the courage and love and desire mm. to do what the Bible is teaching me to do. But absent the Bible teaching me actually what is counterintuitive for me or the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit giving me the, the strength to do it, mm. we can't love our neighbor. We can't, you know, so I, I just love that in chapter one, he goes from kind of philosophy to also back to just general um, kind of humanitarianism. Mm -hmm. Look, apart from Christ, we, we can't do it. Mm. We need God. <laughs> he says, what does he mean by the love for one's neighbor is not a self-vindicating thing, which comes up quite spontaneously and naturally out of the human heart. Yeah, it, it isn't a natural. It isn't easy. Yeah. It isn't... Um, in our nature, mm -hmm. right? That, that it's not that non-Christians can't love their neighbor. It's that it will always be effort. It will mm. always be like, we are by nature, what he talks about, you know, uh, we're focused on self-concerns and self-interest. Mm. It's I mean, so interesting. I, I don't want to open a can of worms here, but it's, it's, this is what's, hard right now in our cultural moment to know what loving your neighbor is right because there's very different perspectives on yeah, yeah. well if you loved your neighbor you would da 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 right. and it's like two very opposite things that they're telling you to do yeah and so and so the i think um but complexity think the, yeah the complexity that's that's where i think what bobbing would say is oh yeah think of how tough it is for those of us who are tethered to the bible into the spirit. Hmm. How much more if you're left unmoored and untethered to what God, the God of the universe who created love, right? Mm -hmm. Who is love. Yeah. Now try to figure out how to love my neighbor apart from the creator who gave us the uh, Bible. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So we've got to, as believers, we need to, we need to be in the word to know what love is. We need to read you know, Colossians three and we mm. need to first Corinthians eight yep. and 13 and these, these passages to understand yeah. that we can't just know it from a worldly right. lens. We need right. to be, see what God yes. requires of us. And so, especially as Christians and especially in a trial, like what we're going in, going through culturally now, flee to our Bibles and, and then close your Bible and fall on your knees and say, okay, Lord, now I've read, I've seen what you are telling me. Mm. 
Jesus, give me the courage both to mm-hmm. transform my mind if I'm thinking wrongly and then the courage to act yeah. in the way you're compelling yeah. me to. Well, I, yeah. what's interesting is, okay, so take Governor Reynolds, uh, you know, speech or proclamation or whatever on, I don't know if it was Tuesday night Monday, or what yeah. it was Monday night. And, and I just, the contrast of, I see on her Facebook page, all these comments, you know, from all kind of perspectives on very angry, do this or don't do this or whatever. And I think that contrast with like, that's the way the world yeah. just to barrage yes. with opinions. And my response, I mean, by God's grace, I think was, I just, my heart sank in, in just a heaviness and prayer oh, man. for our government leaders. And I'm not saying that to say, look yeah. at how righteous I am, but I think yeah. it is kind of, I, I think our gut level yes. response at least should be prayer and yes. humility first. Um, and to acknowledge complexity. Yeah. And to acknowledge. And, oh, yeah, man, Lord. Yeah. Guide us. Yeah, guide us through. Okay, okay la- last one is, it's actually the last paragraph of his opening chapter here. And he says this, science cannot explain this contradiction in man. And again, I'm, I'm jumping in. You'd have to, it's not a very long uh, chapter, so you can read the whole thing on your own, but I'm just jumping in this contradiction now. It reckons only with his greatness and not with his misery, or only with his misery and not with his greatness. Here, let me hit pause to explain a little bit what he's saying. If you're only going into understanding mankind from a materialist scientific standpoint, you tend to either think of man either as totally ignoble and base or way too highly and as kind of the absolute peak mm. of the pyramid, mm-hmm. right? And, and he's saying that, that those are kind of the starting points that the sciences offer, right? He says, it exalts him too high or it depresses him too far. For science does not know of his divine origin nor of his profound fall, but the scriptures know of both. And they shed their light over man and over mankind. And the contradictions are reconciled. The mists are cleared and the hidden things are revealed. I love this line. Man is an enigma whose solution can be found only in God. Mm. You know, it's, wow. it's kind of Luther, other guys who have said, mm-hmm. we are far worse than we ever thought that we were, or maybe Lewis. Mankind is far worse than we ever thought that we were, and we are far more noble than we could ever imagine that we are. And only the Bible is able to address. He, he talks about, Lewis's thing is, I think in the four loves where he's talking about views of the body, mm-hmm. and he talks about, you know, the Greeks thought the body was evil, and the, mm-hmm. you know, or the yeah. other views of the, this is amazing, the Epicureans or whatever, yeah. that this is amazing. And he goes, he goes, I prefer the, the, the Christian view, which is, you know, I call the, the body what Augustine called brother ass, you know, <laughs> the, the donkey. He goes, the donkey that's sometimes in need of a stick yeah. and sometimes in need of a carrot. Yeah. You know, we just, yeah. it's, it's just this, it's, a, it's this beast of burden, you know, that mm-hmm. just kind of sometimes needs a, a little stick to whip it to get going and other times it needs a carrot a little motivation but it's serious i i kind of see that i was thinking about the same thing yeah i love that man is an enigma 
whose solution can be found only in God. So, so I guess the application of this for me is what does it look like for, and, and I see this in first Corinthians seven where Paul, I, I don't want to repreach this. Sermon. He's saying in this present distress that you are in, you find yourself in these difficult circumstances, in cultural circumstances, in the middle of a distress. We think maybe it could be some type of sickness and all that stuff, similar to what we're in. And he says, but don't let it affect your devotion to Jesus. Don't let your circumstances right. affect your love and your, uh, your devotion to Jesus. And I kind of hear that here is like, He's Bavink is encouraging us to run to God yes. as our highest good. So what does that look like for you practically yeah. pastorally to who might be listening? Yeah. Well, I think, I think even those last lines uh, in the chapter help buoy me a little bit when I get so discouraged about mankind, culture, society, this, this cultural moment we're in. And I have to think, I want to think better of man. I want to think better of my neighbor. I want to think better of these image bearers that surround me. And man, let me, let me lean in and think more highly, you know, and then <laughs> the opposite, you know what I mean? Like acknowledge even the best of us out there are sons of Adam mm. and the taint of sin flows through my veins and my own thoughts are imperfect and immature and in need of, of refinement, you know what I mean? And so I, this, these kind of readings draw me back to my Bible and to my knees. I mean, that sounds so simple, but I just feel like that's what Bob Inc. does for me is it, it helps me to say, God, I, I need you to help me think rightly. Mm -hmm. And all these cultural voices, I, I need also to learn but I need to have your kind of filter, your, mm -hmm. your mind fixed so that I can think more highly of some and more distrustful of others, yeah. right? Yeah. Because ultimately the mind of Christ is the one governing. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Amen. Well, let's, yeah, if you just pray us out yeah. and uh, we, we need to, we need to pray. We need to, you know, uh, if we've talked about this before, Ephesians 6 given that our, our struggle is not against people, but principalities. And our application needs to be to be alert, to pray yeah. on all occasions. So, yeah. Um, Lord, my mind is in first Corinthians eight for this coming weekend's uh, sermon. And uh, I'm reminded Lord that knowledge almost always puffs up. We, we think we're more, uh, we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to when we think we've got knowledge that really can dominate. And so, Lord, I'm aware of that love builds up. Mm -hmm. And so, Lord, I, I don't want to study Bob Inc. or any of these other guys because it makes me more brilliant. Lord, by your grace, would you help me to love more deeply because I encounter more knowledge? Mm -hmm. Um don't let us become satisfied because we think great thoughts or know more than somebody else. The real barometer for if we are pleasing to you, Lord, is if we know what is right and then love well. Mm -hmm. And so please help us to do that, Lord. Help us to grow in our knowledge and, and seek you with all of our hearts and then love like with passion and devotion and fueled by your spirit stirring within us, Lord. So, 
Uh, help us to get there, Lord. Help us and help us to get there this day, this moment. That's what we need. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll see you next time. Have a great week.